was reading an article in Time Magazine some time ago about a, a jazz musician by the name of uh, Billy Tipton. Billy Tipton was a, a gifted pianist and saxophonist who got a start during the big band era of the 1930s. According to Time Magazine, Billy had a, a few uh, peculiarities uh, about his life. He, he refused to give his social security number to his booking agent, thought that was a little bit strange. He had a very storied life, um, five marriages along the way, three adopted sons in that process. His sons said that they, they never ever remembered their dad ever going to the doctor, no matter how sick he was, just doctors were kind of, you know, not his favorite thing. And, and there, he didn't like the water, never went swimming, just didn't want to be around the water, just a few strange things about, about his life. Well, he, he died in 1989 at the age of 74, and, and at his funeral, the funeral director got his family, these three adopted sons together, and kind of explained to them why these peculiarities were, were true. Turns out that Billy Tipton was actually Dorothy Tipton. In, in the 30s, the women were allowed to sing in the chorus, but not be in the band, and, and Dorothy wanted to play in the band. So, so she dressed up like a man and lived her entire life masquerading as a man. Now, there's a lot of strange things about that. Like the five marriages, I'm not going to go there. But, but as, I, as I thought about that story, I thought, how many people live their life masquerading as someone that they are not? We talked about it a little, a little bit this morning. Living behind that mask. How are you? That kind of a thing. Now, in other cultures, um, especially in, in, um, in, in Israel, when they meet someone on the street... They don't say, how are you, because they don't speak English. Here's what they say in Israel. They say, ma shalom kach. Say that with me. Ma shalom kach. You kind of spit on the person, that last kach. Right? Ma shalom kach. Okay, what that means, if you go to Israel, you can walk down the street, ask somebody this. And, and what that means, literally, is what peace you, or, or we would say it this way, how at peace are you? That's a, that's a better question. Rather than saying, how are you, what if we all started saying to each other, how at peace are you? Wouldn't that be great? So tomorrow when you come to service, instead of saying, how are you, ask people, how at peace are you? Now, in Israel, the, the answer, like, they're fine, is beseder, which means in order. So how, that's kind of their fine. You might say, when someone says, how at peace are you, you might say, I'm, I'm out of order. That might be more applicable to that. But, but, but the point is, no matter what culture, we've kind of learned just what, what words to say to cover up where the real issues are. So, so we want to go beyond just how are you. I, I want to know how at peace are you tonight and answering that question. I, I think the only way you're going to move from religion to a relationship is in honesty. I'm talking to you as, as believers how do you move from just, in the New Testament, religion, most times, with two exceptions, is used in a negative connotation. Jesus talked about the religion of the Pharisees, not in a good way. So, so how do we move from, from just religiosity to intimate relationship as believers? It requires honesty. And, and the fact is, we're just not good at that. We, we just have, have learned, how are you? Fine, right? You know what fine stands for, right? fouled up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. Based on that, we're all fine, I guess, really, right? Uh, but, but, but I want to ask you that question again tonight and have you process it through. How are you really? You ask some people how they are, and they will say, well, I'm, I'm not bad, or I'm not a drug addict, or I'm not a liberal, or we've got a whole list of things that we're not. But I didn't say, how aren't you? And that's not good English. 
I don't want to know what you're not. I want to know tonight, as, as God looks at your life, how are you? I mean, really, how are you? Because I think for the most part, we're not being honest. Say, how am I? Well, I, 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 feel, I feel pretty good. I felt great when I got this morning, but I got over it, you know, or, or whatever. Or I feel lousy, or whatever. It's fine to ask someone how they feel. That's a good question to ask. As a husband, you should ask your wife how she feels. You may not like that, but you need to do that. One man said, I don't like to ask my wife how she feels because every time I do, I get an organ recital. My lungs, my heart, my liver. But anyway, you, you need to ask that question, how do you feel? It's a good question, but that's not my question tonight. I don't want to know how you feel. I want to know how are you? How at peace are you? How really are you? Say, how am I? Well, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing church. I'm doing visitation. I serve on a board. I pass out tracks. I go on mission trips. I'm busy, 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 busy. And you've heard it said so busy in the work of the Lord, we have forgotten the Lord of the work. See, here's the problem. Busyness produces barrenness. And sometimes the opposite is true. Sometimes people who are empty and barren get busy to compensate. I think part of the reason is, is that we live in this culture where we've rewarded success. We're all so success motivated. And, and we've decided that, that our busyness is an evidence of our success. And so the more busy we are, we think, that the more successful we are. We're, we're success motivated. Most churches are careful to announce two things every week their attendance, and their dollars. And so what people wrongly conclude is, as long as I bring my nose and my nickel, then God must be pleased with me. I was at church preaching on Sunday morning one day, uh, some time ago, and, and everyone kept looking over my shoulder, like over here, and, and finally got the best of me. And I looked over here, and right where this uh, exit sign is, there was a, a plaque, and it said, um, you know, attendance last Sunday, attendance a year ago, offering last Sunday, and, and so forth. And, and, and during the service, there was a, a hand. You couldn't see the person. They're behind. All you could see is a hand reaching out, pulling out the numbers, and pulling the other ones back in. They couldn't wait till the service was over to announce how many people were there. Now, it's fine to count people. I'm not saying anything wrong with that. But, but if you think all Christianity is about is you come into church, bring your nose and your nickel, and that's it. That, that, that's not what I'm asking. I want to know, how are you? I mean, really, how, how at peace are you really? So how am I? Well, I, I'm, I think I'm all right. I got good doctrine, good theology. In fact, I'll tell you what I think. We love to give people a piece of our mind, don't we? Some of us don't have too much to spare. We should ration it out just a little bit. So. I'm, I'm glad you have good doctrine, good theology, but that is not my question. I want to know, how are you? How at peace are you? And I think, really, there's only one level you're going to meet God on. I'm just going to call that the I am level or the level of transparent honesty. And until we come to transparent honesty, we're not going to meet with God. And, and we're just so good at putting on a smile because that's what we've got to do. I was at a conference some time ago, and there was a man there. He was... a one of the vice presidents of the Exxon Oil Company. They have a lot of vice presidents. But anyway, he was one of the guys who years ago was in charge of the cleanup when the Exxon Valdez ran aground. It was all huge oil spill. And he, he went up there and was one of the guys in charge of the cleanup. He said, there's no way you can clean up an oil spill. I mean, it's just, it's just you know, 
but, but you gotta do the best for the environment and so forth. And so they had to take all kinds of vets up there, all these animals covered with crude oil. You've seen the pictures. And so they had to capture them and clean them up and rehabilitate them. And it was just massive amounts of energy and money. He said, we got, we got two sea otters the first two sea otters that we'd finally cleaned up, rehabilitated, all these vets, it'd been months, finally got them ready to go. And so we're gonna have a big, big day to announce to the world that we're doing our part. So we call all the news cameras and set up a grandstand and, and that you know, here we're doing our part for the environment. And so we opened the cages and these sea otters bounded down the water. It was a beautiful day, everyone applauded. Within five minutes of their release, in full view of the stands, they were both eaten by a killer whale. That's a bad day for Exxon. And not, not a great day for those sea otters. They were $80,000 a piece to rehabilitate. That was a $160,000 lunch for that, uh, that killer whale. And, but, but you ask, how's it going up there? Oh, it's going great, we're just doing great. Why? Because we have to keep up the appearance. I read about a, an elderly couple and they were, um, uh, the, the lady came into the kitchen and she saw her husband, he was, he was shaking frantically and she noticed there was a cord going from his body and it looked like it was attached to the coffee pot and she thought he's being electrocuted. So she grabbed a two by four they kept by the back door for burglars and in an effort to knock him from the current, she whacked him in the arm, broke his arm. Up until that moment, he'd been happily listening to music on his headphones dancing in the middle of the floor. Now you ask, how's it going? Oh, great, we're just doing great, right? We've just learned, I mean, we've all had this experience. You're, you're in your house and chaos is going on. People are yelling, the dog's barking, cat's screaming, and the phone rings. What do you do? Okay, be quiet, be quiet. Hello? You know what I'm talking about? And, and we just don't want anyone to know the real issues, and so we put on this front for the world. And, and we've done that, not only now, with everybody else, we do it with God. And we fail to get honest, even with ourselves, about the real issues of our life. What are some real answers? Here's, here, how are you? I'm hurting, that might be a real answer. Uh, man, I'm, I'm going through a difficult time in my marriage or in this relationship, or, or maybe, maybe you're fearful. Man, with everything that's going on for the, the generations to come and, 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 and just what's gonna happen with our kids and our grandkids, and maybe you're, just, you're living in fear, maybe you're angry. Just angry at what a person said, a person did, or maybe angry at just an inanimate object, like a computer. Ever feel like this guy? Um, no, where is he at? He's coming up here. Um, that's the bitter person. There he is, uh, angry. Yeah, he's yelling at his computer right there. We are, sometimes I wanna do that. Or, or maybe you're bitter. Maybe someone has said something to you and you're just having some comfort. Or maybe your issue, I'm, I'm, those are all immoral. Those are all honest answers. But see, we don't wanna talk about that. We wanna talk about the peripheral, the surface, because we don't wanna really get honest and deal with real issues in our life. And as a result of that, we just skim over the surface, compare ourselves to a lost world, and feel pretty good about ourselves. Now, I, I think there's only two basic questions that every person is gonna to have to answer this side of eternity. Two basic questions. The first basic question of life is this, what is your relationship with Jesus Christ? That determines whether or not you're a Christian. What have you done with Jesus? So I've thought about him, sung about him, I've studied about him. I, 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 know, I know he's a friend of sinners, but is he your friend? You say, I know he answers prayer, but does he answer your prayer? The answer to this question determines whether or not you are a Christian. What is your relationship with Jesus? Now, outside of your salvation, 
as a Christian, if I could funnel the whole Christian life down into one question, there's one basic question every Christian, after they've gotten saved and answered this question, right? One basic question, all Christians, the Christian life funnels down into one statement. Here it is. Who gets control of your life? That, that's the bottom line issue for you. Who are you going to allow to be Christ alone or Christ and you? Who is going to sit on the throne of your life? Who is going to be in charge? Who gets control? That's, that's the bottom line issue that every person has to ask. I'm going to illustrate this with a little skit. And uh, I, I like this one because I get to be Jesus in this one. Jesus. Yes. I, I've decided to give you this. Well, you know whoever sits here makes all the decisions. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I make decisions all the time, but you make the best decisions. So, so sit down and it, start making it. Really? Yes. Was, absolutely. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, this feels pretty good. Good. Yeah. Thanks. Oh, hang on. I'm getting a phone call. Sorry. Okay. Sure. Hey, Chuck. What's up? Oh, you're going to buy a new shotgun? Cool. I thought you and your wife were trying to get out of debt, though. That's good. Oh, you're not going to tell her? That's bad. Oh, you want me to go with you? No. No. I mean, um, I, I don't know. Let me, let me uh, think about that and get back with you. Uh, Jimmy? Yeah. What's the deal here? What? I, I'm kind of one-cheeking it here. I'm, oh. I, 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 I thought you wanted me to sit on the throne here. I, I do, yeah. This I, is I, the I decision-making place. I, I know. I just lost my mind for a moment. I, I really want you to sit here. You're, you're sure? You're I'm, absolutely I'm sure. I'm sure, yes. Yes, All please, right. sit down. All right, we'll try it again. Okay. No, let me go first here. Okay. I've been noticing some things about your attitude that just okay. is not right. Okay, see, Jesus, right. I know what you're going to say. You do? Yes, see, but, I have a lot going on. your attitude is a choice. Yes, yeah, Jesus, you don't understand the whole situation. But you, 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 Jimmy, this is not working. What? I thought you wanted me to sit on that stool and make those decisions. I, I do. Well, well, then you have to give me the stool. Okay, here, take it. You have to make a choice. I didn't know it'd be this hard. But you've got to choose. I, I just can't. You just did. Now you see, in the throne of your heart, there's one throne. Only one person sits here. And the bottom line question for all of your Christian life is who is going to sit on the throne of your life? Who gets control? Take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 23. As you're, as you're turning, the, the Bible says that who, if, you, if you live after the flesh, you're going to die. If the flesh is in charge, sitting on the throne, if you're in charge, you're going to die. But if you mortify, if you put to death the deeds of the flesh, then you're going to live. Galatians 5.16 says, walk in the spirit, step by step, choice by choice, thought by thought, decision by decision. Who gets control? Walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But, but the problem is, rather than letting God sit on the throne, rather than letting God be in control, we jump. On top. Now, 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 the flesh will dress you up in religion. You can surrender your flesh. You can rededicate your flesh. It can talk right, look white, and walk, but, but it's still flesh. And as long as you are in control of your life, you're going to make making wrong choices. And now, now, Jesus, I don't know why the Pharisees came around him. He, he rarely had positive things to say about him. He was always exposing them. But, but here in Matthew 23, stand with me if you would have looked at a few verses here. Matthew chapter 23. Jesus is addressing the scribes and Pharisees. And, and he says to them in chapter 23, in, in verse 5, he says, you're, you're doing your deeds to be noticed by men. 
You love, verse six, the places of honor. You want the respectful greetings. You want the titles. You want people to be impressed with who you are. He says in verse number 14, in, in pretense, you make your long prayers. There's that word pretense we talked about this morning. You, you pray long time in public so, so people commend you and say, wow, that guy can pray a long time. In the context of all this, jump down with me to verse 23, Matthew 23, 23. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. The word hypocrite is taken from the Greek theater. In, in, the, in the days of theater in this culture, they didn't have massive sets and costumes. They, they had actors who would play an entire play by just putting a mask in front of their face and say a few lines, drop that mask, put another mask in front of his face, say a few more lines. So one actor played the entire play by putting different masks in front of his face. And that kind of performance was called hypocritical theater. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're like those actors. You've got a mask in front of your face, but that's not the real you. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, those who speak from behind a mask. For you tithe, mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weighted provisions of the law, mercy, and justice, and faithfulness. These are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. They were so concerned about the letter of the law that if someone gave them some spice, they would take a tenth of their spice and tithe it to the synagogue. And Jesus said, that's fine. But you've missed the more important things. Verse 24, you blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, those who speak from behind a mask. For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. I don't know about you, I'm not a real germ-conscious person. I think we're kind of too sanitary, you know? I, if something falls on the floor, 10-second rule, you know? I'm, I'm not a big into that thing. And if I go to a restaurant and they bring me a coffee mug, it's got crud on the outside, it's been through the dishwasher, I flick it off. I don't send, some people send everything back, right? I don't, but, but if there's crud on the inside of the cup, I'm gonna drink from that, so that's a little bit different. And he says this to them, you, you blind Pharisee, verse 26, first clean the inside of the cup of the dish so the outside may become clean also. You're all shined up on the outside. But that's not where God's looking. Verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, those who speak from behind the mask. You're like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. We were in uh, Alabama some time ago, and we're on our way to Walmart or something, and, and, and Debbie looked out the window, and there's a cemetery on the side of the hill. And she said, Steve, when we die, that's the kind of tombstones I want right there. I looked out the window. I knew exactly what she was talking about because here in the middle of all these normal tombstones was one set of pink granite hearts. I thought, only if I die first will we have pink granite hearts for tombstones, right? But as beautiful as those tombstones were, they still covered death. No matter how beautiful a coffin is, it still houses death. And he said, you Pharisees, you got a beautiful coffin, but you're full of dead bones. Verse 26, you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You can be seated. So what was he saying? He was saying, you guys have got the mask thing down. It's all together. But he is not looking at the outside. He's looking at the inside. Now, I said this morning, one of the prerequisites for revival is purity. And, and I want to give you a, some definitions, some levels, because I think the reason that we're not pure many times is because all we do is look at external things. 
As, as fleshly believers, we race to external means and say, well, look at all these external things I'm doing. That must mean that I'm pure. Three aspects of purity. The first aspect of purity, we're going to call positional purity. Positional purity is, is the thing about what I know. I know that positionally, when God the Father looks at Steve Canfield, he sees me as pure because I'm in Christ. So when he sees me, he doesn't see me, he sees the purity of his son. So positionally, I'm pure. Positionally, I am already seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That's incredible. But why doesn't just knowing that positionally we're pure, why doesn't that produce overwhelming joy? I'll tell you, some Christians I meet are the most miserable people alive. Why? Because something is missing. There's something beyond positional purity. The second aspect is practical purity. Practical purity focuses on what I do. These, these are all the outward emphasis. I, I, I work hard. I have the, all these standards. I, I, I serve at the church. I, I keep the law. I've been baptized. I witness. I keep the Ten Commandments. I'm doing everything I know to do, some would say, but I'm still so empty. Why? Why is it that we are enduring Christianity rather than enjoying Jesus, the author of Christianity? Why is our Christianity a duty instead of a delight? I think it's because we've missed this third aspect of purity. And we're going to call that third aspect personal purity. And personal purity doesn't focus on what you know or do. It focuses on who you are. It goes back to the I am level we talked about earlier. Transparent honesty. Personal purity. Personal purity. This is revealed in, in, in what you do when no one sees. Personal purity is what only you and God know about you. It's revealed by what you really enjoy, what you desire, what you value, what you think about the last 10 minutes before you go to sleep at night, what you, what you look at on that, that TV show and you're on a business trip and no one sees you, no accountability, what you bring up on your computer at your job. It, it's what you send in your breath when that person you don't like walks away. It's what only you and God know about. And that is the real you. And, and the problem is we look at purity based on all the externals, just like the Pharisees. But Jesus looks at your heart. And the fact is you can know right and do right and still not be right. The Pharisees, they, they did all those things well. You can't dress up your flesh enough for God to accept it. I mean, maybe we should back up. And, and, and just define Christianity. But what is Christianity anyway? Well, some would say Christianity is, is coming to church, giving your money, and being miserable. Really? That's, that's what Christianity is? Come to church, give your money, be miserable? If that's all it is, come to church, give your money, be miserable, we ought to get people saved, baptized, and shoot them. Okay? Put them out of their misery. If, if that's all it is, why well, we want them to be as miserable as the rest of the Christians? The Bible says that they were first called Christians at Antioch. But they didn't make up that name for themselves. These believers were living in the city of Antioch. And people looked at them and they said, you know what? You remind me of somebody. You remind me of that guy, Jesus. The word Christian means little Christ. You're a little Christ. You remind me of that, that guy, Jesus Christ. It was kind of derogatory at some point. Has anybody ever looked at your life and said, well, I've watched the way you react to the boss Man, you, you, have, you must be a Christian. I, I've seen the way you handle that, that difficulty in your life, that, that loss. Man, you, you must be, a, have you ever been accused of being a Christian? They didn't make up that name for themselves. They were called that because Christ was seen in them. What is Christianity? 
Well, if it's not just, you know, coming to church and being miserable, Christianity is the life of Christ being formed in your life. Since you've been saved, how much of the life of Christ has been formed in your life? So people look at you and they see Christ in you. You ask some people what Christianity is, and, and some would say, well, Christianity is knowledge. You want to be a good Christian? You've got to, you've got to read the Bible a lot. You've got to study a lot because the more you know, the better Christian you are. Well, the, the problem is that academics alone, apart from the heart, academics alone, the Bible says, produce pride. And, and the fact is that some of us are about as valuable as an educated corpse. We've got all this stuff jammed into our head, but it's never made its way to our heart because there's a stiff neck in between. We'll let it pass through. This book is not meant to inform us. It's meant to transform us. It's, it's not just a textbook. It's a life book. In John 5, 39, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees again, and he said to them, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have life because they were concerned about where to dot that I and cross that T. And he said, you study the scriptures because you think that those words are gonna give you life. He said, the words you're studying, they're talking about me, he said. They're talking about a person. You don't wanna come to the person. You wanna talk about the words and, and should we dot this and cross this? And all you wanna talk about is the academics and you've missed the whole point. The point is a person. Christianity is not just about more knowledge. It's about a person. Well, some would say, no, Christianity is, is not about, about knowing. Christianity is, is about doing. You want to be a good Christian, you got to roll up your sleeves. You, it's your actions that show your Christianity. you got to go and, 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 and work at the uh, you know, daycare center and, and at the pregnancy care center. And you've got to go uh, work at the, you know, go on a mission trip and, and clean the church. And you do some things, and that is where Christianity, where, where the rubber meets the road. The problem is that actions alone can produce self-righteousness, like the Mary-Martha syndrome, where Martha says, Lord, how come Mary is wasting her time? I'm in there doing all this work, and all she's doing is sitting at your feet. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, don't you understand? Listen, somebody had to clean the dishes. Somebody had to clean the kitchen. That's fine. Nothing wrong with service. But, but, but if you compare and say, well, I am a much better Christian because I'm serving and they're not, you can get so self-righteous based on what your actions are. You say, well, well Christianity is not either or, it's both and. You've got to have right actions combined with right academics. So if you put your knowing and doing together, that's Christianity. No, that's a definition of a Pharisee. They knew it all. And they did it all. They even tithed their spice. They were so concerned about their actions. But Jesus looked at them and said, you are a brood of vipers. Why? Because Christianity, I want to suggest, is not knowing or doing. Christianity is being. It starts on the inside. What you are is not to be seen in your academics or your actions. What you are is to be seen in your heart attitudes. That's the real you. And those attitudes, by the way, we call them the be attitudes. They're found in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. You read the first few verses of Matthew 5, you want to know what a Christian looks like? Read the first few verses of Matthew 5. There are eight things. Jesus said, here's what a Christian is. Blessed are, and he lists eight qualities that define Christianity. The poor in spirit, the, the meek, they that mourn, and hunger and thirst after righteousness. And he gives, here's what a Christian looks like. They're, they're spirit-led heart attitudes. 
And, and the problem is many of us are basing our Christianity, all the, all the things we know, all the things we do, and we've bypassed the most crucial point, and that is the heart. There's a, a verse in Proverbs that says, paraphrased, our attitude is the light God uses to expose our true heart. The King James says, the spirit of the man is like the candle of the Lord searching the innermost parts of the belly. So, so a, a man's spirit, or we would say attitude, is like a candle, we would say like a flashlight, that God uses to shine down into our life. You wanna know where someone really is at, you look at their attitude, you look at their action, look at their reactions, that shows who they really are. So as you try to evaluate even in these days where to start, where God wants to, to start his work in your heart, in your life, you start by saying, God, what are my attitudes like? What do those look like? And, and how do you know what someone's attitude is? You know their attitude. Well, we, we had a picture that um, Cecilia drew for us tonight, picture of an orange. Let, let's just say that I had been working on my grip, which I haven't, but let's say I've been working on my grip and I could take this orange and just squeeze the life out of this orange until it would explode, what would come out of this orange? Orange juice, right? What if before the, the service, I took a hypodermic needle, stuck it in there, sucked out all the juice in the pulp, then filled it back up with black India ink, and then squeezed the life out of it, what would come out? Black ink. And why is that? Because whatever is on the inside of something comes out when it gets squeezed. So if you wanna know where someone is really at, you look at what happens when they get squeezed. You want to know where they're really at? Then, then go put a little dent in their little god out in the parking lot. See how they respond to that. Or go step on their new shoes and scuff them up a little bit. See how that, no, don't do it on purpose. I'm just saying that that shows the real us. I'm, I mean, here, here's the family, you know, you're, you're sitting around the dinner table and, and uh, your child spills the milk. Now, now, we, we had six kids. There are times I wanted to come to dinner, take the milk out, dump it out. Gonna get there anyway? Let's just get over with. You know what I'm talking about? And that they should have made a top a sponge that the top two inches, a table that the top two inches are a sponge. It'd be a great invention. Spill the milk, it absorbs it. But anyway, you, you come to dinner, your child spills the milk. And you blow up like you spilled your milk again. That's the third time this week. Where'd you get your brain from your mother? You know, you stomp and storm and rant and rave and, and your wife touches your collar, it's sizzling. And finally you calm down a little bit and she's like, honey, why did you get so mad? I'm not mad. Okay, okay, okay. You settle down, finally, she says, honey, why did you act like that? And here's what you say. If that kid wouldn't have spilled his milk, I wouldn't have got so mad. So what you're saying was that circumstances made you an angry person. Circumstances made you what you are. But that's just not true. The, the fact is, circumstances don't make you what you are. Circumstances reveal what you are. We want to say, I'm this nice, merciful, easy to be entreated dad. And God says, oh yeah. So God reaches down, takes your child's arm, and knocks the milk over. You think God does that? I think he does. Just to show us where we're really at. You watch what happens when some, you put some people behind the wheel of a car. It's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And all of a sudden, they're yelling at people and honking their horns and whatever. Even the church, trying to get out of the church parking lot. It's amazing. Just the different people. And they got squeezed and something came flowing out of them. That's their real heart. 
I, I love sports. My, my goal in life was to be a basketball coach. I went to Bible college to play sports and, and uh, didn't know what God had for me. But anyway, um, you, you, you take nine guys in the church. I mean, deacons and Sunday school teachers and staff members and, and, and praise band guys. You put them on a church softball team and watch an amazing transformation. Out there yelling at the young, complaining about this. What happens? We get squeezed. The last time you got squeezed, did Jesus come out? That's the real you. And, and when you start evaluating yourself based on your responses to things, then you can know that's what God wants to do. He wants to change my heart. He wants to start from the inside out. What we're doing is we're putting Band-Aids on things that need heart surgery. And, and we see, yeah, but look at all my outward scenarios. Yeah, God says, I, I want to look at your heart. Now, in your little green book, I forget what page it's on, uh, page 53, actually. So turn over to page 53. And there's a little chart there. And, and what I want you to do as we walk through these last few minutes here is as we walk through this little chart, I want you to circle the side of each one of these individual things as I walk through them that best describes your response last time you got squeezed. So think about the last time you got squeezed by a child, by a mate, by a boss, by an employee, by a, a whatever. The last time you got squeezed, did you get angry or were you understanding? Which one of those best describes you? Your grandchild came over for, uh, you know, to visit you and went and got in your bedroom and got in your cosmetics. Dumped your Channel 5 all over the dresser, made a big mess, you know, lipstick. Did you get angry or were you understanding? Last time you got squeezed, which one of those best describes you? Think about your kids. Think about what happens. We were, um, we, a lady came one night to share a testimony and she said, I'm, I'm housing two of the team members in my home. He said, I have, two, I have two grade school children, and normally everything functions very well in the morning. And we get up, we get around, and we go to school, we have breakfast, we go to school, everything just like clockwork. Well, the first three days these two girls were with us, it was just chaos. It was just, uh, no, nothing was happening right, and, and the kids weren't ready, and, and it's just, it just and breakfast went slow, and everything was just, I couldn't figure what was going on. And finally I realized after three days that normally for the first half hour, all I do is yell at my kids. But I couldn't yell at them because I had two guests there, and so my kids didn't know what to do because I wasn't yelling at them. <laughs> what would happen if you stopped yelling in the house? Would the whole house stop out of shock? Last time you got squeezed, angry, understanding. Last time you got squeezed, were you impatient or were you patient? You're sitting in a traffic light, and there's a car in front of you, and, and the light turns green. What do you do? Honk at him, of course. I don't have two seconds to wait. You know, what's the deal here? I was, I, was in, I was someplace recently. I was five cars back from the light in a turn lane. The light turned green, and the car behind me, six cars back, starts honking at me. I'm like, really? What, what am I going to do? There's four cars in front of me, right? That's kind of the way we are. I don't understand these, these supermarkets. You know, it's Target and, you know, Walmart and so forth. I understand 50, 50 cash registers and two clerks working. What is the deal with that? You ever change lines to get in a shorter line? I used to get all my kids, we'd all go to a different line, see who got there first, and we'd run to that person who ever got there first, right? And then you get right up there, one person away, and they have a price check. Oh, great, now if I can walk in the bar, where are, the, where are all the employees? They're probably back in the lunchroom, watching on the monitor, laughing at all of us standing in line. <laughs> Patient or impatient, which best describes you? Last time you got squeezed, did you claim your rights or did you yield your rights? Your husband comes home late for dinner. 
three hours late. Didn't call, didn't tell you. Shows up three hours late. He walks in, says, honey, I'm home. I can see. I love you. Same. He looks over, his dinner's in the trash. And if he has half a brain, he begins to realize something's wrong here. Now, I'm not saying it was right for him not to call, not to tell you that. But here's the deal. You claimed a right. And your right was, that guy better keep me informed. And if he does it, then he'll find his dinner in the trash. I'll tell you how to solve that problem. Don't expect him to ever come home. Then if he does, it'll be a blessing. That's how you solve that, right? But, but the problem in marriage is we have not yielded our rights. And we say, everybody better run their schedule around me. And if I'm not informed, then, then I'm, they're going to know about it. Is, is that spirit controlled or flesh controlled? Last time you got squeezed, which best describes you? Were you selfish or were you sacrificial? I'm not going to walk through all those. But I want you to take some time this evening and walk through those. And say, which one of these best describes the way I respond, the last time I got squeezed. That is the real you. And this, this kind of maybe summarized it as good as anything. So I, this man says, I was sitting at a stoplight this morning. The lady in front of me was going through papers on the seat of her car. When the light changed to green, she did not obey its command. A green light is a commandment, not a suggestion. When the light turned red, she still had not moved. I began with my windows up, screaming epithets and beating on the steering wheel. My expressions of distress were interrupted by a policeman, gun drawn, tapping on the window. Against my protest of, you can't arrest me for hollering in my car, he ordered me in the back seat of his. After about two hours in a holding cell, the arresting officer advised me I was free to go. I said, I knew you couldn't arrest me for what I was yelling in my own car. You haven't heard the last of this. The officer replied, I didn't arrest you for shouting in your car. I was directly behind you at the light, saw you screaming, beating on your steering wheel. I said to myself, what a jerk, but there's nothing I can do to him for throwing a fit in his own car. Then I noticed the cross hanging from your rearview mirror, the bright yellow choose life license tag, the Jesus is coming soon bumper sticker, and the fish symbol, and I thought, surely you must have stolen the car. <laughs> so here's the question. The last time you got squeezed, what came out of you? Did people see Jesus? Did they see understanding, patient, yielding rights, sacrificial? Or did they see angry, impatient, claiming rights, selfish, and on the list goes? See, if we want God to do something in our life, it's not about the externals. What we need is heart change. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. But there's not really a major step demanded tonight. It's a simple step of agreeing with God and saying, God, I've been thinking wrong about Christianity. I, I thought as long as I came to church and gave my money and you know, served a little bit, that, that, that's all it was. But Christianity is Christ growing his life up in you. And the evidence that that is happening is what happens when you get squeezed. And some of us have claimed to be Christians for 40 years, and we're still, something doesn't go our way, we're upset, we're yelling, we're angry. That's an issue of a heart issue. That means that your heart's not been changed. You can go through all the motions you want, you can say all the words you want, sing all the songs you want. But last time you got squeezed, 
that's the real you. So, so the question is, where is your heart? Not, not where is your academics, not where are your, are your actions. Those are important, but they flow out of a changed heart. This little chorus I used to sing, it says, change my heart, O God, make it ever true. Change my heart, O God, may I be like you. Well, would you go to God right now, if you can, and just say to him, Lord, I want a change of heart. I don't want to just be better on the outside. I don't want to just be more controlled so that I can, you know, cram it in my under. So, God, I want a heart change. Like Ezekiel says, I, I want that heart of stone to be turned to a heart of flesh. I, I, want, I want my reactions and my responses to be so that people look at me and say, you must be a Christian. I saw the way you reacted to that difficulty, the boss, whatever it was. Some of us, are, our attitude is arrogant or proud or selfish or whatever these things are, and, and, and no one sees Jesus in that. But would you just say, God, by your grace, I want a heart change. If, if that's your desire, just tell God that right now. That in these next days, God, as I've given you permission to, to do whatever you will in my life, would, would you just show me how, how I can have a heart change? So in the days ahead that when I get squeezed, it's Jesus that comes out. Not all this venom, not all this anger, not all the bitterness, but Jesus comes out. That's my desire. Tell God that right now if that's what you want.